Welcome to Werewolf the Podcast, a retrospective podcast about Werewolf the Apocalypse. Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am your host, Josh Heath, and this is a little bit of a different episode for us. You know, you might have heard our Galliard Rants episodes where I just ramble about a werewolf topic. You might have heard our book reviews where I ramble about a specific book and tell you all the things I dislike about the art and the representation of the various Native American tribes within them. But this episode is an interview with... B. Dave Walters from L.A. by Night. <laughs> All of our excited fans screaming in the background. And we are excited to have him with us uh, this day. We're just going to leave it there and not talk about a specific time of the day. And kind of talk about his interest in Werewolf and talk about some of the projects, talk about L.A. by Night, talk about um, the comic book, the D&D comic book that he's working on for IDW. And because it's me, we're going to eventually talk about role-playing games and how they can change people's lives. Because for those of you that are familiar with reach-out role-playing games, that's something that I'm into. I believe that role-playing games can really help people become better, the best version of themselves, which is something I've heard other folks say and something I believe in. It's good to go from level 1 to level 20 in your life, and that can be done with role-playing games as part of that process. So, B. Dave Walters, please introduce yourself to all of the folks listening to Werewolf the Podcast. Uh, I'd like to start off by saying I deeply object to this being audio only. I put on pants for nothing. Uh, I could have just been comfortable had I known, but cool, cool, like whatever, it's neither here nor there, you know, like this, this, this Victorian cummerbund that I invested in expressly for this, a lot of frills, a lot of lace, it's super metal, you guys can't see it, but that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, yeah, uh, um, yeah, B. Dave Walters on a little show called Vampire the Masquerade LA by Night, I've been playing... White Wolf games as long as they've been out. I was there for all 25 years of Vampire. I was there at the very beginning of Werewolf. I still got the base book with the like cardboard slashes in the cover and, and, the, and the spotty binding. Um, uh, yeah, longtime fan. And dare I say, and I hate to admit this to the family, but all things being equal, I've spent a lot more time playing Werewolf than I've spent playing Vampire, you know? So I'm yeah. a. I like to think of myself as a cosmopolitan citizen of the world of darkness, except changeling, not changeling, screw changeling. Um, but besides that, ouch, we'll, we'll tell the folks at walking away from Arcadia not to talk to you about changeling, or maybe they should you know, tell, tell them Eric Campbell, Eric Campbell, the, the For DM sure. of Callisto six. You want to talk about somebody who's about that life. He's got the dice and everything. And honestly, you know, you know what it is. And this is the truth. It is true. The changeling never did it for me, but I mm -hmm. think at that time in my life, I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Um, especially because the way I played vampire and the way I played werewolf is very, very much different than how we play LA by night right now. You know, we, we were super powered throwing cars around and stuff like that. And then when changeling was not that, I was like, uh, what? You know, so I, I bet if I were to sit down and really go back into Changeling again now, I would see it through very different eyes. Yeah, uh, I, I get it. The The f fact is my group, when I was starting with World of Darkness games back, not quite 
25 years ago, but close. Back in 97 for me um, was Vampire, was Werewolf. That was what our jam was. And they were very much Changelings, this happy game, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, it's not going to be my thing. And then it was actually uh, Victor Kinzer and the folks at Walking Away from Arcadia that were like, this is a, the darkest game in the world of darkness. Yeah, and it's not like, a happy game like at all. What? Yeah. yeah. Like at all at all. Yeah. <laughs> Blew my mind. And now I'm yeah. like, I need to play this just at least to experience that at least once. But um, yeah. that is off, slightly off topic. What no, I wanted to talk but, about. But is it though? <laughs> no, yeah. it's firmly on. <laughs> um, is your love of Werewolf, which I yeah. believe was the first game that you had played in the World of Darkness. Is that 100%, correct? 100%. Uh, I discovered Werewolf and Metallica at the same time in my life. Cool. And Metallica is my favorite band. So those experiences are like very much like interwoven um, in my mind. Like any time a Wolf and Men plays, like I'm thinking Werewolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it also came along... I. I let me take a step back. Not just in my life, but in general. I think the world of darkness is a phenomenon. That whole late 90s grungish time kind of like landed spot on the generation of disaffected teenagers mm-hmm. uh, that it just landed at the right time. And being like, I'm angry at corporations and I'm angry at pollution and I can turn into a rage monster and do something about it. <laughs> was like, yeah, you know, right. like, like give yeah. me that, give me all of that. To grab it right away and be like, yes, I can actually do something and take action against these horrible things in the world. Yep, and then, you know, well, we can go into the Umbra, we can go into the spirit world, we can, you know, just all of that. Because I'd been playing, by the time I got into Werewolf, I'd been doing, like, D&D and riffs and things like that. It was about five or six years by that point, because I started when I was, like, 13, um... And definitely did the got into the world of darkness like high schoolish time. Um, I remember one of one of my favorite werewolf campaigns ever. Is I was an exchange student in Germany mm. in 1994, and we played a werewolf campaign to pass time on the flight. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. So that was the 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 in the in one shot was the flight to Germany. Then we were in Germany, and then when we came home, the epilogue. Was another one shot because it's like a I don't twelve ish hour flight you know don't don't drag me uh, internet and hey I didn't tell you where I was flying from so before you're like it's not twelve hours to get to Germany I'm like ah ah but where'd I leave from where'd I leave right. from could be anywhere uh, could be and apparently it was twelve hours away it's a <laughs> geographical oddity twelve hours from everywhere <laughs> um, but uh, yeah that that was that was a fun thing um, because. At the time, even though I say Werewolf was my game, and it was, and uh, Shadow Lords are my clan, and they are, mm-hmm. my two f- characters that I played the most is I had a Bastet that was based on Sabretooth from from uh, Marvel <laughs> Comics. Sure. I took, I took Fair Glabro, and so he rolled around looking like Sabretooth all the time. Remember, I was in high school. And I had uh, Mokele that was based off of Velociraptor from Jurassic Park. Same thing, same time. <laughs> You know, but that's turned, amazing, though. Yeah, yeah, but I turned into like a big raptor, though. But yeah, mm-hmm. but those were those those two were were my jam. I really okay. enjoyed it. Uh, and a friend of mine, I remember in that same campaign, she had a black fury named Lysistrata because we just read <laughs> Lysistrata. Right. Uh, Google it if you don't know, kids. It's a great. It's a classic. Uh, and 
It fits the Black Fury ethos very well. Right? <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, like, laid right in there. Like, if any of those girls, like, in Lysistrata, when, when, you know, they were trying to figure out what to do, if they were like, or, or, we could just kill them all. <laughs> right, we could turn into furry death monsters and destroy them all. Right, yeah. So, yeah we could solve this tonight. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And anybody out there, if you're listening, if you want to do an all Black Furies Lysistrata themed campaign, that one's on the house. Enjoy it. Oh yeah. man, that is an amazing idea. They better record it and put it out as an actual play because that would be amazing. That is true. Tag me in it. Tag us both in it. But yes, <laughs> right. do that. <laughs> okay, so I, there are so many thing, cool things in there that I want to dig in, dig into. But the first one is Shadow Lords. Um, mm-hmm. I am also a Shadow Lord person so tell me why the best tribe is the best tribe and then i'll tell you the lies that you filtered into that truth <laughs> well you know it's funny because last night i was talking with ivan van norman and uh, alquin gersh we're on we're alive together because we all went out for my birthday and uh we were talking about werewolf we we're talking about the fact that i was coming to do this and uh i had said my clan was shadow lords and they were like, you're so predictable. And I was like, excuse me, excuse me. If we were talking predictable, you'd have thought I was a silver fang. Mm-hmm. So, no, sir, I'm a Shadow Lord. Uh, to me, e- Shadow Lords are the most practical of all of them. Uh, they look at it like a chess game. And it's like, what do we just have to do to make this happen? Whereas a lot of the other clans are more idealistic, you know, to their greater lesser you know benefit or detriment um the silver fangs are very much like we're in charge because reasons uh whereas the shadow lords are just like what's it gonna take to get this done mm-hmm. um and i always appreciated that and you know they look cool so <laughs> yep no that that in, like that's a box right there you know that yep. you look at a problem and you go well this is the way to do it and this is the way to make it happen. Let's just, and here I am doing great radio with ancestors, but you know, you've got to go low and you've got to go high at the same time. And shadow Lords are capable of stepping back and going, I can be the dude going low while all you other folks go and do the things that you got to do out in the open. And we'll just make the deal with a vampire and actually make it happen. You know, it's funny that you said that, um, Never mind. I'm not gonna say because it because it, it might come up eventually. That it, oh, it, it, it might it, it 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 might it might play into a stream at some point. So mm-hmm. never mind. Let let me say nothing. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. Let, yeah. I'm gonna not talk my way into into a corner. But yes, I also agree that that's a thing. <laughs> hmm. uh, I, I I think of of all the clans, the Shadow Lords are most likely given the proper set of circumstances to ally either with the right vampires or, you know, other members of the world of darkness. I think the Shadow Lords, personally, um, obviously this is the internet and many people will not agree with this assessment, I think Shadow Lords are the least idealistic Mm -hmm. of all of them. Uh, At least in the sense that it's like their values are practicality and efficiency. So when you're like, it just makes more sense to do X they're going to do it versus like let's say like a red talent or something like you're you're not gonna get through to them (laughs) right (laughs) they're just gonna do things (laughs) so now that you've brought up the red talons Mm -hmm. would you say that they are the worst tribe or the least respected of the worst tribes that are in 
werewolf the apocalypse. I hate to say, I think Bone Nars are the worst tribe. Uh, oh, ouch. You know, uh, sorry, Jason Charles Miller, who plays the Bone Nara, strikes a chord on our Vampire the Masquerade game. We have had a Lupine show up. Um, uh, we know that there's glass walkers nearby, uh, but we've had no interactions with them yet. Uh, so uh, I love JCM dearly. Even when, when, I, when I was fairly certain a werewolf was coming, I was like, please don't let it be a Bonar. <laughs> and, then, and then it had, although his Bonar is great and it makes sense contextually, but when you're like, I'm a homeless werewolf, I'm like, okay, dude, you know? Um, I think the Red Talons, believe it or not, I got no problem with the Red Talons because I think when they're done well, they provide a very interesting insight into the idea of like, what's this really like from nature's standpoint, really? Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think that can be done in a very interesting way when, when if they're very much like I'm a man cub type thing, <laughs> you know, like I'm here to steal red fire type thing. Um, I, I think a lot of times the way they get portrayed in games, though, is just like I'm just the Tasmanian devil mm-hmm. type thing. You know, like I'm 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 the crazy shapeshifter person, and you know, um, where uh, I think they can be done with more depth in more um, uh, nuance. Mm-hmm. Although, um, it's interesting that I just got done saying I think the Shadow Lords were the most likely to be able to get along with Kindred, but I could see a version of events where some street-level Bone Nars and some street-level Gangrel and possibly even some street-level Nosferatu kind of can be like, we all sleep under the same bridge type thing, you know? And it's like, you be cool and I'll be cool. <laughs> as long as you stay over there and I yeah. stay over here, we'll be all right. Yeah, as long as nobody, yeah, nobody makes it weird. We're just all going to sleep. <laughs> Which makes some sense. You definitely, there's an argument that could be made that that, would, that could happen. Yeah. Now, before, though, you mentioned a Macaulay. And I've got to say, there are, I had a disaster years ago where most of my books disappeared for a reason and uh, the handful of books that i was able to save the macaulay um breed book was one of those that Mm -hmm. i have the original it is that one still um and speaks like to all the cool things that i loved as a you know 14 to 17 year old being like dinosaurs are cool um what about the Macaulay made you, or maybe even about that game you mentioned, made you say, hey, I want to play this particular type of character? Ah, uh, two words, Jurassic Park. <laughs> Jurassic Park. I, I, when I grew up, I wanted to be a vertebrate paleontologist, mm-hmm. and Jurassic Park just landed just square. I saw Jurassic Park 16 times in the theaters. Like, I love Jurassic wow. Park. So imagine how it felt when two and three happened. Um, like even so much so like Jurassic World, this whole like, well, we're going to destroy the park type business. I'm like, spoiler alert, but it was in the trailer, folks. Um, you know, all of that, I was kind of like, that's unnecessary, you know, in, in the, the, the fact that that franchise is just like, no, 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 this is another bigger, better dinosaur. I'm like, now it's stupid. But when you, that's context kids for those of you that have grown up in this world, they're kind of like, those movies are kind of whatever you got them at the time. At the time, never seen anything like that, ever. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
And the only reason I based it on a Velociraptor, besides the fact that they were cool, is turning into a Tyrannosaur wasn't exactly practical. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which is yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, wanting to live that, and, and, and to a greater extent, I think that's kind of, I know we, we want to dive into this a little more later probably, but one of those power of role-playing games and power of storytelling thing was it was an opportunity to really step into something that I truly loved, mm-hmm. you know, to because I, again, I capital love Jurassic Park to this day and to be able to have like a little piece of that uh, was great. And my nature as a player, and I've said this many times and it's true, my nature is I'm a min-maxer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go through and pick the perfect combination of merits and flaws um, and everything just to give myself like every possible mechanical benefit. Mm-hmm. And that character was so stupidly powerful. Just so <laughs> stupidly powerful. I'm, I'm just envisioning the different Arcid traits that I know from memory yep. and going, oh yeah, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mechanically, that you could go really big broad real quick and i I built it all around uh pouncing because you know that's what the raptors Mm -hmm. were doing and it was just like i could just jump on something and just obliterate it which i mean to me that was a good night you know there was no depth there was no nuance there was no what's its motivation i'm like its motivation is to rip things up and it's really good at it (laughs) so there, there was no like beret wearing pinky up you know, deep-seated introspection into the the stake, uh, the you know the plight of Gaia in the modern era. Like, not nah, not with that character. It was just blasting things, um, which is fair. That like, yeah. I sometimes go real deep into oh, you know, this is the philosophical blah 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 background of all of these things. Yeah. Honestly, the world of darkness you can play as a as a cathartic i'm going to just destroy everything for the night and that is a ton of fun and i would i will never tell people that is not a good game because if that gives you something that you want out of it that is a good game for that night yeah well and 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 i think also in in a well-constructed um chronicle there's also some room for both of those things mm-hmm. where, you know, you've got to do some of the wordsmithing and you've got to do some of the diplomacy and you've got to do some of the like uh, searching for a fetish in the umbra. And then just every once in a while you get to be like, or, or we just killed them all. <laughs> you know? You're like, yep. hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> Maybe it's just murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you're talking a game where you are literally furry and or scaly death monsters, right. it sort of makes sense. Well, you know, one problem I always had with Werewolf, and I'm hoping in, you know, when, when we see a new edition of Werewolf that I think we all know is inevitable, mm-hmm. um, was it was like you're immune to everything. Nothing can hurt you except the teeth and claws of literally everyone you meet, you know? And I'm like, that's my life now, <laughs> you know? It's like, it's like, you're only vulnerable to bullets. Well, yeah, that is true. That is a weakness of mine, you know? Yeah. Um, so if, if you weren't careful, um, the game very much became Rocket Tag, mm-hmm. where it was, um, like, if you remember in, in the first edition of the book, there's that like four to six page comic of the Silver Fang and the Black Fury yep. uh, fighting each other. 
Mm-hmm. And they're just wailing on each other, and Clem blood's going everywhere. And then one of them, and the the Silver Fang shoots his claws out, and that's how he kills her. I think it, it's implied it might be a Shadow Lord, not a Black Fury. It probably was supposed to be a Shadow Lord. So it turns out they it, they reference it later in the other editions uh-huh. that it's um, Jonas Albrecht and Mar Mar Mari Cabra who are the two, like, signature Silver Fang and Black Fury characters. So it was a Black Fury. Right. But it's it's not actually... You're not told that ever. People have just kind of assumed that's who they are. Right. So. I seem to... It's like somehow my recollection was Black Fury. So maybe there was something in her art that made it obvious. I don't know. But at any rate, you know, they have this, like, Herculean slugfest. And I'm like, it's not that at all. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like you care going at it like that's two two rounds, maybe yeah. three rounds if you're yeah. lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky, yeah. Um which I, I think, you know pardon pardon the quasi pun, in many ways a lot of times would defang the combat in the sense that you're like, Oh, here's this worm creature and we could all jump on it and it's like or it's gonna one shot half of us. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 You know? Um, I know in, in V5, the playing field has been leveled more in, in based on that, even though in the vampire base book, now there are stats for werewolves in the base book, mm-hmm. but they're built, they're built off of that vampire chassis. Right. And so it's just, each one of them is just essentially ridiculously powerful and like, they're very strong and very fast, you know, which is what they're supposed to be. Right. Um, because for the most part, if you're a vampire and you're in the room with the werewolf, you either need to leave the room because you're probably about to get pasted. Um, uh, so, but I, I'm hoping in the new game, there is some gap in there somehow mm-hmm. of where, you know, we can do battle with each other that is not necessarily whoever gets the most successes wins, you know, um, which would would make sense it would make the combat a little bit more enriching yeah may, might be the word yeah 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 um but yeah well, well it's i will say this just kind of as an aside because i've got a buddy of mine who's a huge mage fan mm-hmm. he actually has the spheres tattooed on his knuckles like that's how committed he is wow uh yeah no i was like hey props you know right uh and he and i were talking about like, I really like the World of Darkness, and most of the Chronicles I've played in were more World of Darkness Chronicles, where, like, mm-hmm. vampires were around, and werewolves were around, and chainslings were around, and wraiths were around. Um, and he pointed out something to me that I honestly think is true, that he's like, if you allow that this one world has all these things, as soon as the technocracy shows up, the technocracy wins. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they're the end of the line. <laughs> I mean, if you take it to its logical conclusion, mm-hmm. where where you're like, yeah, I'm a giant rage monster, and they're like, cool, 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 and they have molten lead in your lungs. <laughs> like, right. Like, uh-oh. uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, the... When you give them all the resources and all the leadership levels yeah. and the ability to do magic that they can create a paradigm to excuse. Yeah. Yeah. They sort of like get to like just muck with reality because they feel like it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, and, and I, and I, I know what was intended even at the time is they were supposed to be like the agents in the matrix. You don't fight them. You run from them. Like, you know, they're here. It's too late. But again, it's once they, they are 
they are the narratives I win button. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah. You know, when taken yeah. to its logical conclusion. Right. Which, and we even see that in the week of nightmares stuff mm-hmm. with the whole, you know, three suns orbital death ray that the tag now, and you're like, okay, I guess they have orbital death rays now. Yeah. Great. Yeah. They're like, cause we feel like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> Which, F you, that's why. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I will. She wins. <laughs> I, I will say uh, another favorite character of mine I had was I actually had an Akashic brother that was based on Batman, and though I I had his utility belt, and I would make it work because I was using matter to create things. Mm-hmm. So I would just reach in the pouch, and yeah, I've got a smug bomb, you know. And then I'd reach in this other pouch, and yeah, I got a batarang, and like <laughs> that was how I did it. Which, that yeah. fits the paradigm, right? It, well, uh, it, another friend of mine in that same game uh, had a character based on the amazing Mumford from the from the Muppet Show, the a la peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. And he was a similar thing. He'd reach in his hat and pull stuff out, but he'd always, it'd be always go wrong because the amazing Mumford was really bad. <laughs> but same thing. That was the gimmick, you know, that you're all like, ah, you know, like pull like a hammer out like Bugs Bunny and stuff. And <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it's a good time. It's a good That's time. That's awesome. Again, you see, superheroes mm-hmm. very much informed most of my character choices during those times. Makes um, sense. I mean, so, in, they have some impact on them now, especially, you know, the, I, I play Aventuru in L.A. by night. I have pretty high-ranking Dominate, and I very much think of it as Jedi mind tricks. Like, I even do, like, the little Jedi mind trick hand motion when I'm using them. I mean, some of that is to give the audience an easy visual cue that that's what I'm doing, but, you know, it's also, that's right. what it that also is also fits, me. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you're, these aren't the droids you're looking for. You know, like, that's very much, like, I'm one step shy of the, like, temple grab from Professor Xavier, <laughs> but I, I can't actually read mine. That's Auspect, not Dominate. Right, yeah. you've got to get a couple of levels of Auspect so you can do telepathy, right? It's true. It's true. I already got the shaved head, so I feel like I should just <laughs> lean into it. Yeah, it, you know, if it's there, just you know, plop down in the chair and roll around. Yeah, right. I, I didn't make it this way, right? Yeah, like I didn't choose it; it chose me. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go in a different direction mm-hmm. and let's talk about the comic that you're going to be producing, which mm-hmm. isn't World of Darkness, but for me, it's exciting because. Um, any type of crossover between comic books and role-playing, it's kind of an ancient tradition at this point. You know, from the beginning, companies have been doing this sort of crossover, but it's always, it's a space to catch people that are on either side of those fandoms and get them to overlap and interact, which, when you think about RPGs as this cross-media sort of tool, Mm -hmm. it always excites me and interests me. So tell me, tell the folks that are going to be listening to this about this so they can get interested and excited about it. I'm I'm actually somewhat pulling off the trifecta in that we have the book, which is, of course, based in the game, but where we're developing a streaming tie-in. So we will have kind of have a foot in all three of those worlds, trying to, like, get people to cross over and enjoy each. Uh, yeah, I'm working on a comic called Dungeons & Dragons, A Darkened Wish, uh, with uh, Tess Fowler as the artist. Uh, the first issue should arrive on shelves imminently. Um you can pre-order it at your local comic shop, or you can order it on Comixology. Um, if you think you want to read it, please do pre-order it, because that actually really matters. Uh, in fact, our pre-orders were strong enough that we got three variant covers approved, so there's going to be four versions of issue one, uh, nice. largely on the strength of the pre-orders and the word of mouth. 
Um, yeah, it, it was, it is an epic. It is far more, it is very hardcore. I think, even though it is not World of Darkness, I think the story would not be completely alien in tone to the World of Darkness. Uh, it is far more Lord of the Rings than Saturday Morning Cartoon. Uh, there's definitely fun bits and funny bits, but the basic premise is we have these legendary heroes who essentially have to come out of retirement to save the world one more time. And the story is told in terms of time jumps back to when they were younger and the things they went through, uh, they went through together to get where they are. Um, and I have a visitor coming. My little girl cat is looking at me like she's about to want to jump on my lap. I'm hoping I can get her not to. But if you suddenly hear a bell ringing and like purring like a chainsaw, you'll know what it was. Um, but yeah, so the the story is um, we although we never exactly say it in the book, we see them from when they're roughly 15 ish uh, into roughly into their 40s. So oh, it, the story takes place over many years. Um, and we find out, you know, how they met, how they got to be where they are, um, how they entered into this conflict, and we see it all the way to its conclusion. And uh, I've been fortunate enough that I've gotten some insight into the next D&D summer event, uh, the next big thing uh, coming off of, you know, what we did in uh, Waterdeep Water with the Stream of Many Eyes. Mm -hmm. So... I was able to plant some seeds and do some foreshadowing uh, in the book that I think some things that will seem slightly random or like inconsequential when you read it the first time. By this time next year, when you read it again, you'll be like, oh, that was that. And I'm like, mm, yeah, it was that. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, the story set in the Moonshine Isles, which I didn't know at the time, was where the very first Forgotten Realms ev story ever was set in the Moonshine Isles. Dark Walker on Moonshine. Mm -hmm. um, Dark Walker on Moonshay is so retro. It was not a D&D story. It was just a fantasy novel that they licensed and dropped into the Forgotten Realms. Mm -hmm. um, and once I knew that, because I found out when, once the story was already in development, because I didn't want to use one of the big iconic locales. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to use, you know, Waterdeep or Neverwinter um, because yeah, I didn't want to be beholden to 50 years of continuity. And I knew I could only do so much. Like, if I wanted to destroy Waterdeep, I knew I couldn't, you know? Um, <laughs> no one's yeah. going to ever approve that. Right, exactly. Or, you know, by the end of that issue, I'd need to have, like, miracled it back together or something, you know? Like, I, But I couldn't I couldn't really leave an impact there. Um, whereas in Moonshay, I felt like uh, I could. And uh, once I realized that there was this, like, significant lore, I really leaned into that in the sense that I went back and I took some characters from adventures from, like, the 80s and 90s, mm -hmm. and I aged them up and made them very old. And then I took some other characters that are from things that are coming, and I aged them down and made them very young, and then kind of all put them in the same place together, interacting. Um, and that was really neat to, to be able to do. Uh, that That's was awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. And, and yeah. I think, more than anything, it is it's crazy to have spent so many years playing these games and you know dreaming in these worlds and to now be a place in a place where i can add a link in the chain to the continuity of dungeons and dragons and add a link in the chain to the continuity of the world of darkness uh like my character victor temple's got a lore sheet you know like i like i can be in people's games that's bananas mm -hmm. that is insane 
Uh, and I got to tell you, more than anything, normally I, I end up at this ramble at some point whenever I'm being interviewed. And usually it's near the end, but I'm going to tell you right now. To you who is listening, if I can do this, you can do this. If I can be in a place where I get to tell my stories and participate like this and, and quite frankly, live this dream, you can too. And tell your stories. Get your friends together together. Play your game. Uh, if you want, turn on a camera and stream it and just have a good time um, because your stories matter and your stories have an impact. And there's people that need to hear the narrative that only you can tell. And you, quite frankly, never know what doors is going to open because I had no idea that I would be where I am. And yet here I am. So mm -hmm. uh, clearly it can be done. <laughs> Which it, that sort of powerful affirmation for creators and uh, people engaged in these communities is really important to hear. You know, the community content programs got started because the, the folks in the industry realized there's tons of people out there that can do this, but will never find them unless they have an opportunity to prove themselves. And how do you do that in this industry without knowing someone? Here's a way of doing it community content, make something, actual plays have their have a space in that as well, but those mm -hmm. are the layers, podcasting, uh, community content, actual play, and it builds into this thing that makes, it, one, it engages you, one, it creates a community, I'm just going to put numbers that don't actually connect to each other, but they help build people um, and build opportunities for folks, so um, I've got probably the most storytellers vault products out there for anyone that's written for it so far um i think i'm up to 41 or 42 at this point but i don't say that to say oh look at what i'm doing but to say it's possible for anybody to write something and get it out there and then have that become an opportunity for you so yeah. i absolutely agree yeah and i gotta tell you you know i know if not all, 95% of the major players in this space. I know the executives at the big game companies. I know the successful streamers. I know the people on both sides of it. And all of us will tell you the same thing. And we're all amazed. Like, there's, there's been more than once. Like, we're on set. And I look over at Alex, and I'm like, um, it's our job to play vampire. Like, what even is this? And he's like, I know, it's crazy. You know, like, I mean, like, even we are like, wait, this is a thing? Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. Well, let's go. Um, I will just say this as an aside, because this is another thing that I share. Because a lot of times I find people ask me, how do you get into streaming? How do you break into it and everything? And I would tell you that the simplest thing, is obviously gather a group of friends that wants to do it. And I would say, play a couple of games where you do your best not to break character at all. Because that's the only difference between a stream game, well, the main difference, between a home game and a stream game. Because I think, all things being equal, the social aspects are a big part of why you do this. You know, you get together with your friends and you order pizza and then you talk about Netflix and, you know... Uh, relationship problems and what's going on at work and then yeah you roll some dice and you laugh and that's what she said ha, ha, ha. you know and, and, and there are some streams that that aside and all that interjection of personality is is works for it um but 
I would say if you really want to get some attention and get some notoriety, take people on an adventure where like they dive into it and they can stay into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you find you can kind of do that for a session or two and really be in it, and it's a, it'll be an interesting experience for you as players because you'll find you'll make it a lot further <laughs> than you normally do in your games. Um, like I said, turn on a camera and start putting it out there, man. You know, um, and, and let it go where it goes because it is... It is a growing business, and it is the wild, wild west right now. And don't think also, don't look at L.A. by night, don't look at Blood on the Thames, don't look at We're Life Frontier, Critical Role, any of that, and be like, well, we can't do that, um, because you don't have to. <laughs> you know? right. Do your thing. Right. You, know? you can easily be the folks, I'm going to plug a couple of my friends here real quick, mm-hmm. you can easily be the folks in 20, Twin Cities by Night, or yep. Caffeinated Conquests. Yep. Both amazing actual play groups that do things differently than Critical Role or LA by Night, but all of that is valid, one, as a source of media, and yep. two, as a way to play the game. Yep, I, I, I do a lot of hyping for Twin Cities by Night, actually, because they, they did a lot for us. Um, yeah, so steer clear of looking at what other people are doing. I mean, it's good to kind of know what's out there and, you know, know, know the, you know, the, the, what the word on the street is, sure. But all things being equal, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. And the greater that you're like, well, I can't do it like Jason Carl. And I'm like, mm, I can't either. But, you know, he can't do it like me. So, <laughs> um, you know, wh- whatever your unique contribution to this is, th- is better. Because uh, there was something I, w- I was sharing with... Uh, Josh earlier before we went on, um, which I'd mentioned on the on the Vampire Twenty Five podcast, is one of the most validating experiences of my life. Was if you haven't seen the Cherry D Twenty December Twenty Seventeen Vampire One Shot, Jason ran it and I'm in it. I play a gangrel in it. That was my very first time ever playing on stream ever, um, and we sort of stayed in touch after that. And um, you know we were kind of talking and we went out for drinks and we talked about werewolf mm-hmm. and um again full disclaimer i do not work for white wolf i'm not saying any of the words that i'm about to say matter at all this was a conversation i had but you know the the whole crux of the fifth editions is you know 15 calendar years have really passed mm-hmm. so from the last major white wolf supplements to now that time really happened um, and it very much is like, well, what's what's a post 9-11 world of darkness look like um, in vampire in particular? Uh, the Inquisition is back in full force because basically as an aspect of the war on terror, as an aspect of increased surveillance and intelligence, they just basically stumbled across the fact that it's like, oh, wait, there's monsters is <laughs> you know, um, you know, maybe some vampires might have uh you know, done some ill-advised attempts at manipulation that may or may not result in the extermination of us all. But that's essentially the meta plot of fifth edition. You know, mm-hmm. the humans know. Some other things are happening, of course, but the humans know. Um, and so the conversation we were having about werewolf was, well, it's fifteen years later. What do you think would have happened? And I got to sit down with Jason and be like, well, you know, I think the Silver Fangs would have done this, and I think the Shadow Lords would have done this, and, you know, and the Uktena would have had some things to say about these pipeline protests, and, you know, and, but even just 
getting to have the conversation was wild. Mm-hmm. You know, just getting to have a say. And again, I'm not saying I'm a designer on the game. I'm not saying any of my thoughts will matter at all. So let me be quite clear. Well, now that you've said that, though, what would be the one thing you would want to say, I have to see this, either metaplot or mechanics or whatever. I, if, if I were, if you were I'm the, uh, the lead producer of yeah. Werewolf 5th Edition and I was one of your writers, what was the, would be the thing that you would say, hey, Josh, I need you to go do this because this has to be in the game? Again, this is me talking as fan. All disclaimers. Right. Um, Fair. I, more than anything, I think if they're really going to lean into it being a world of darkness, and if the main undercurrent of vampire is the humans know, you know, they're kicking indoors, killing us, that has to be in werewolf also. Mm-hmm. If there's going to be an imminent threat of the authorities all the time, Werewolf also needs to have an imminent threat of the authorities all the time. I mean, it can't be the Inquisition and Vampire and Pentex and Werewolf, mm-hmm. but you never hear any mention of Pentex and Vampire, and you never hear any mention of the Inquisition and Werewolf. Uh, I would like to see that woven together. Mm-hmm. strongly so um, what i'm hearing from that and this is com- this is conjecture le- leaping off the idea mm-hmm. having pentex be involved in an upper layer where maybe they're funding elements of the inquisition and the governments and in inquisition are using resources of pentex to strike at werewolf cairns intentionally and unintentionally to remove those potential um barriers to the various activities that the Inquisition is undertaking. I mean, maybe, yeah. And I think that's definitely a very valid story to tell. Um, Because, believe it or not, I think, again, this is me talking as a fan, Mm -hmm. the Inquisition being a purely human endeavor, like a pure, straight-laced, by-the-book human endeavor, in many ways makes it scarier. Mm -hmm. Because it's... You know, it's kind of like these squishy monkeys. What are they going to do? Well, it turns out a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I would actually prefer if, and I mean, I don't even know if Pentex is still going to be a thing, but I sure hope they are. Um, You know, if Pentex is a thing, I mean, obviously, you know, the the bribery of corrupt politicians, like all of that. I mean, you know, they're going to have some tentacles and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I hope that in their own way, Pentex has to be afraid of the Inquisition. You know, everybody has to be, because the, the thing that makes the Inquisition frightening, and this is something that, you know, I've had to deal with firsthand in, in the game, because we've now come across three hunters, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, again, these squishy meat sacks are fairly easy to put away. Problem is, if we do, they just send more. Mm-hmm. And then if we don't, well, they've seen us, you know? <laughs> so what do we do? And uh, watch the show to find out what we did. But it's there. It's never just one. It's everything. You know, it's the complete machinery of the system, 
which in Vampire has led to a very hard rift between the Camarilla and the Anarchs, Mm -hmm. where the Camarilla is very much going a technologically retrograde approach, where they're like, we're going to live like it's the 15th century and essentially ride this out. Mm -hmm. Um, And to a greater or lesser extent, the Anarchs are like, well, but we won't, though. Like, some of them are doing that. Some are very highly technological. Like, my character is very highly technological. Um, Which will not come back to bite him at all. No negative repercussions to this (laughs) whatsoever. The fact that the Inquisition is monitoring our communications is an ugly rumor. Mm -hmm. I have no reason to believe they're seeing literally everything I do. (laughs) None whatsoever. Um, um, So I'm thinking in the werewolf meta plot, we're going to see some of that also. But I think it's going to come down more like clan to clan. Like, I think that the glass walkers obviously are very much going to lean into it. But I can see a version of events where the silver fangs and the glass walkers are at odds. Again, this is me talking as a fan. I can see a version of events where the silver fangs and the glass walkers were at odds because maybe the silver fangs are like, well, wait a minute. You know, this this is a thing that's happening. You guys need to back off. Um and I could very much see the Shadow Lords playing both sides against the middle or, you know, just trying to manipulate the game in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Fiona are just going to be somewhere getting drunk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is but, a crash stereotype that is pretty much accurate. for. Say, it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not a stereotype when it's true, you know. Um, right. I, I, I do think, based on the the trajectory of what has happened in Vampire, I would expect for the overall power level to be somewhat reduced. Sure. I, I, I think it is not going to be the game we knew where you could walk into the middle of Times Square and turn into a rage monster and there'd be no negative repercussions whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't expect that to be the thing anymore. Um, I don't know what it's going to be. But if I had to wager a guess of the general tone of, you know, this is where we mythical creatures find ourselves in 2019, um, that is probably not going to be a thing. Yeah. The interesting thing, um, I'm going to go off on a weird tangent for a moment. I like like where this is headed. All right. So when I was, um, before V5 came out, and I was reviewing first edition Vampire because... Um, Martin Erickson and Jason and Donay DeVere and everybody had said on some level, hey, we're trying to get back to the feel of first edition vampire. And I was like, I'm a revised vampire person. What do you mean? You know, which is a revised vampire was a very different game from first edition vampire. First edition say, says a lot more street level, personal horror, some yeah. political horror in the background. But finding that, like, actually being a monster is really important, like, that value being really essential to Vampire. And I think V5 does that really well. Um, The odd thing, odd slash interesting thing from a directional standpoint, from a, a like, broad conception, Werewolf 1st Edition is nearly identical to Werewolf 20th Anniversary Edition in tone. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's not a huge, like, oh, we need to get back to the core of this game. If we were to do a 5th edition werewolf, um, I think what what you're saying, and I agree with, is that it's going to actually have to say that the core behavior of werewolves is led to their almost even closer to now extinction. 
and they've had to they have to act in some ways like refugees potentially which is pulling a little bit on the by night studios plot that they did for their werewolf but i think that's accurate that werewolves if they're in a world where humans know are going to have to like be a lot like more careful than they have been in all of the other versions of the game i feel like that's what's going to happen i feel like werewolves are very much going to be on their heels i feel like they're very much not going to be as strong as they were just because vampires aren't um uh, because i just I, I i think that street level ethos is going to run through all the games because again it kind of has to otherwise you just have an even more exacerbated techno technocracy problem right. um because if the vampires have been relatively weakened and honestly they have mm-hmm um, you know, again, speaking as a min-maxer, you know, like in V5, in V5, you can't really, you know, easily do the things you could do before. Um, if the werewolves, like, let's say before, if, if your average vampire was a 5 and your average werewolf was a 10 and your average elder was a 20, mm-hmm. you know, and now vampire has made everybody 5 to 8... <laughs> Um, I anticipate, you know, an an analogous bringing down of the werewolves. Um, I think they're probably really going to lean into, you know, the global warming, Earth is dying Mm -hmm. thing a lot. Again, speaking as a fan, uh, and I've read no PDFs, I've read no proofs, I I know no things. Um, I will say I really like in Vampire, and I wasn't sure I was going to like it at the time, but, you know, now I've played the game once or twice. Um, I really like the blood dice mechanic. It's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Um, moving away from a blood pool to the blood dice, it changes the game from a resource management game to a risk management game, yep. and that's cool. Yep. Um, because now it is not about, do I have the blood to leap across this building? It's... Do I want to risk being seen jumping across this building? And do I want to risk potentially freaking out? Because we, we were put in a situation... Because the blood pool only goes to five. Blood dice, if, if mm-hmm. anybody's not familiar with V5. Um, and, 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 you know, to, to take even more to make sure you know what I'm saying. The game still works of assembling dice pools. It still works as counting successes. But as your blood increases, you start replacing some of your dice with blood dice. And the blood dice have the ability to give you um, a critical. And it can be a critical, uh, a bestial success or a bestial failure. So in a bestial success, let's say I'm trying to open a door and I get a bestial success. Well, I freak out and kick the door in and it works, but you know, I'm in the door, but it's like, no, but now I got this problem and uh, a bestial failure could manifest itself in a lot of ways. Like theoretically with a bestial failure, you shouldn't get the door open, but maybe you, uh, you know, pick up a dumpster and throw it at the door and cause such a commotion. Like everybody knows, like there's a, you know, right. real negative repercussions. And we were in a position in an episode not too long ago where I had four dice, four hunger dice and five is the max. Ooh, like, yeah. You're, yeah, you're freaking out, like eating the first person you see when you've got five. Mm-hmm. And I very much like didn't want to use any of my powers because I was like, I mean, cause there's too high of a chance Mm-hmm. You know that this is going to go really bad, um, and and that's that's an interesting way to increase an extra level of tension 
while simultaneously reducing the amount of accounting, if yeah. that makes sense. And I it think does. that is that is the most ingenious change in mm-hmm. Vampire. And I'm hoping they, you know, do something do something similar uh, with yeah. Werewolf. I think it would be fairly easy to do in Werewolf too, because Rage, uh, as a system, is fairly analogous to. Uh, that is, that's a weird pronunciation of that word, but I guess yeah, it is the right pronunciation. It um, is now. It's the internet. It <laughs> right. Um, it's, it has enough connections to blood in mm-hmm. the way it's used and spent. It, the way it's recovered is a little bit different. But I think you could easily say, hey, you have rage dice now instead of you know hunger dice. That mechanic is very easily ported over into Werewolf, and I think it does exactly the same thing. It makes you go, I could use Razor Claws now, but man, if I use Razor Claws now, what is the outcome of that situation going to be? It makes Frenzy way more present of a concern, um, which it's it wasn't great in earlier editions of Werewolf, but it was no. kind of like, well, I'll just ride this out, and hopefully I don't kill my friends. Well, uh, again, I don't know, but I... I it, Based on the tone of this game, you know, it would make sense. And, and, and I can only say that I enjoy it in Vampire. And it does add an extra layer of risk and reward to things. Um, and especially when you, like, really lean into it. Especially when you really lean into the, like, bestial successes and stuff like that. Um, it's a lot of fun. And oddly enough, for whatever reason in our game, uh, my character Victor has gotten more than everyone else's. I think uh, Erica's character Annabelle has gotten exactly one, I think. And uh, Jasper and Nelly have gotten none. And I've gotten three or four. That's just the way the dice fell. <laughs> you know? So, you know, the straight lace Ventru has, like, freaked the F out uh, more than everyone else combined. But He's nice. just got a more present beast, I guess. Beasts we are, less beasts we become. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, but I'm With, looking forward to it. Whatever they do, I'm looking forward right. to it. Yeah, same. Uh, I, I'm excited for the idea of a new a new edition of Werewolf that does some of the things that we loved in, in earlier editions, but also takes risks in good ways. Um, yeah. I, think, I think that was done in V5. I have some concerns about V5. We're not going to dive into those. But I do think similar good risks need to be taken with werewolf and the mechanics are those in a good way i think well now a lot of that's going to be modifius also um so uh i don't know to what extent they're going to want to completely reinvent the wheel i mean probably not um but uh i definitely think we're going to have a different end result um Mm -hmm. because of it uh, but again, you know, me, I'm, I'm pre-sold, man. Uh, I'm pre-sold. Um, yep. I, I hope they do them all. I hope we get a new werewolf and a new mage and a new changeling and uh, a new wraith. Uh, Alex loves the freaking Fomorians. I'm like, oh, oh ah, no, you know, no. Like the Black Spiral Dancers is as far as I can go. I'm with you. I can, I can, oh, I can go that freak, far, I, no further. I, just reviewed Freak Legion a couple of weeks ago. Come on, dude! The, everything, <laughs> Black Dog Games, all of that. It's like it is. It is quintessentially like 1997. Mm-hmm. Like it is either the high or the low watermark, depending how you want to look at that. You know, because uh, believe it or not, my favorite White Wolf product ever was Vampire: The Dark Ages. Oh, I yeah. loved the whole Dark Ages concept. I loved it. 
so uh, did you ha- do you have a specific book in the Dark Ages line that you're like, this is my favorite book from Vampire Dark Ages? The base. The base book, yeah. the first one. There, there was like this. This is it. I just really liked the idea of like I'm a ghoul warhorse and I'm a knight and I've got potents for, and you guys, it's just about to go poorly for literally all of you. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, same thing. I, I like the idea of, of a werewolf on a battlefield. Mm-hmm. You know, like I mean, like you're, you're it's like it, it's it. When you start thinking about the Fianna, the fact that England could never quite conquer Scotland, like, suddenly makes a lot more sense where you're, like, two or three of those dudes. (laughs) Oh, huh. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's weird. You were like, they were just berserk. I don't know. They were drink something. I don't know what happened. Really strong and lots of alcohol. Yeah. Right. And then we, we ran mostly. There was a lot of murdering and a lot of running. And we should just leave those people alone. Yeah, um, <laughs> all of that was, was an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. Um, although we nice. same thing in our show, we've had some we've had some wraiths show up um, on the stream. We've yet to meet any mages, as far as I know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, again, I deeply suspect Juan is a mage. We have a we have a particular human that keeps turning up at places he's not supposed to be at. So, but again, that's me. That's me as a fan watching the same thing <laughs> you're watching. That I, I'm like. Mm. Something about that guy. Right. Not too sure about that guy. Why is that guy always here type thing? Um, which, which for people that haven't watched the show, there's, this is particular human. He's in the very first episode. And it just so happens he's an NPC that's met us all and lived through it. Hmm. And so the fans sort of took up. Like, <laughs> you know, how does that guy... <laughs> like, yeah. Now they're all fan theories about who he is yeah. and what he could be. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, and I'm theory crafting too, man. Like every time he shows up, I'm like, I'm not. Part of me wants to bite this dude, and the other part of me wants to not bite this dude. Right. right. <laughs> it could go bad. Right. Right. I'm like, mm, he's a troll. He was a troll. That's it. Right. Now it, it all makes sense. Oh, that would be even better. That would be layers of meta right there. I don't. I know. Mm, I don't want to say Jason wouldn't do that because he might, but that would be pretty meta. <laughs> you know, we'll see. You know, maybe he's just a very lucky kid. I don't know, but I mean, again, I'm with you guys. Not too mm-hmm. sure about one. <laughs> All right, so let's um, let's go in another different direction. And this, um, so for folks that don't know, um, I um, am the creator of a product slash idea concept called Reach Out Role Playing Games. And Reach Out Role Playing Games um, focuses on using role playing games as a form of intercultural dialogue. Um, I come from um, a conflict resolution background. So for me, merging my love of role playing games, particularly dark role playing games that allow us to like address real world issues and um, break them down and kind of uh, separate ourselves from them um, just a step so we can understand them and change them and fix them. The idea of using role-playing games as a form of um, of tool to do that really strikes deeply with me. Um, now, I know that you are a motivational speaker, and you uh, do some help coach work and um, life coach help. There's words there. It's That's the sort internet. Of yeah, man. It's right. a thing now. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is great, because those are things that I think we, n- we need people that are capable of Sometimes of giving us external advice that really help us along 
You know, mm-hmm. I think that's really valuable. But from those two perspectives, let's talk about the ways that role-playing games can give us opportunities. One, to build community, and two, to find ways to get people like working with one another. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I've always found as a sort of irony of RPGs is we're perceived as geeks and geeks are perceived as being antisocial or incapable of being social. And yet you're literally saying at least once to twice or more a week, you're getting around a table with people and you have to be social with them and you're being super social. And we're seeing right now all of the major people in the media industries have used and or played role-playing games at some point in their life if they're of a certain age because they're a good method of teaching the crafting world st- worlds and stories abilities are built into role-playing games and everything that we do within them. Um, so that was a lot of preamble to say, what ways do you see using role-playing games as a form of bringing people together, and what could that be in the future? Well, um, if you follow me on Twitter, and if you don't, you should, at Walters. Um, I have a pinned tweet right at the top of my profile that is a thread about gatekeeping and toxicity in this culture, and it is about this very thing and why it's important. And one of the points that I make in this is the reason why, to me, the reason why people play role-playing games at all is to have a chance to feel like they're at cause in the narrative, that they can take actions that have an impact. Uh, and it transcends heroism and villainy, you know, D&D, Rifts, Bad Lords, whatever, Vampire, Werewolf, whatever. It's my character can do a thing and that thing matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a storyteller, the, to the greater extent in which you feel like the, the characters feel like they're having an impact. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be a positive impact, just an impact. Uh, they will be enjoying themselves, and the extent to which they don't feel like that, like they're just on rail, on on uh, they're on rails, or they're being punished, or whatever, they're going to have a negative experience. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, I think in terms of playing these games is an opportunity to experience some different things. In many ways, it's up to the storyteller to provide those circumstances because it is very easy to get stuck in the same tropes mm-hmm. of the savage orcs, you know, mm-hmm. the drunken dwarves, uh, the noble elves. Um, uh, it so happens I got to go to a screening of... Uh, nope, I'm not even going to say that. Never mind. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, but uh, it's... Uh, I personally try and make my characters as three-dimensional as possible and make the NPCs as three-dimensional as possible. And I did a stream last summer called uh, Theogony of Kairos, which was a level 20 D&D adventure, uh, which I was very proud of. Uh, because most games, I mean, again, Power Gamer, I'm Min-Maxer, mm-hmm. and most campaigns never make it to level 20. Right. Either they just fall apart, because for the most part, you know, that's two, three years of fairly regular Mm-hmm. play um either your group just doesn't go that far or by the time you get there you're like well we've done this you know <laughs> we won you know uh let's roll new characters so i wanted our characters to start there and i crafted the story the way i did on purpose i brought them as is humans level zero humans that are given their powers by the gods um and then hijinks ensue 
but we spend like the first three episodes with them all at level zero. Honestly, I didn't know it was going to take three full episodes, but it made sense because I knew I had to show them the town they lived in and I had to show them who was in it before I gave them their powers. Mm -hmm. Because if we just, you know, minute one, act one, camera goes up, you're level 20, and I'm like, that's the bully. Mm -hmm. Disintegrate. You know, whereas when I gave them some chance, I got they get bullied and they get pushed around and then they get an insight into why the bully's doing what he's doing and why he is like he is. And then they come back with the power to pace this kid and they really have to, like, stop and think about it because and this is was a long rambly way to get around to your point. I had shown them the other side of the equation. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd put them on one side and then I put them on the other side. You know, I'm like, here's context. Now what? What are you going to do? Uh, that's one thing my players have come to expect. And by the way, all of Theogony and Kairos is, um, it's on YouTube now. If you go to the Uncommon Trust, which is our, our storytelling uh, cadre, um, we have a playlist there and they're all there. And we did a live Gen Con episode too. The live Gen Con episode is fairly self-contained, but if you're going to watch the show, I recommend watching it last. Um, e my players know... I'm going to let you do literally anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, you know, that the rules sustain. But I'm even going to give you the benefit of the doubt to try anything. It's just understand you can do those things, but you won't be free from the consequences of those things. Like I told them, I'm like, I, because I also knew I didn't want to put them in a position where I gave them godlike powers and then penalize them for their use. Mm -hmm. I, I was like, no, nah, if you want to summon a tidal wave and destroy this city, you can. Like, you super can. Just understand, afterwards, there's going to be a refugee crisis, and everybody's going to know about the mad wizard who, right. who destroyed this city. And I'm like, when 10,000 soldiers show up, and they all start shooting arrows at you, statistically speaking, 2,000 of them are going to roll crits, and you're mm -hmm. going to die. So, <laughs> Right. Inevitably. Right. <laughs> These yeah. are the consequences. These are the consequences, but I think that is what's important when you talk about that, like, bridging that gap type thing. When, um, again, I think a lot of times people lean into a lot of tropes and stereotypes, and they don't even know that they're doing it, uh, which is why when I encounter, I mean, I don't mean to drop the R-bomb, but let's just say, like, some, at least a diet racist tropes. Diet racist tropes, <laughs> you know? Um, like, uh, to, to bring it back to werewolf, the Uctena. Yep. You know, that, that people like, here's the Uctena. How? I'm like, wait, stop right there. Hold on. Time out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm like, this, there's, there's more to it than that, you know? Um, but I would put them in a position where, um, yeah, Pentex is building the pipeline on ancestral ground. You know, this is polluting oil, you know, bad guy of good. Yeah, I know. I'm like, no, nah, but I take the time to it's like, well, here's why this land is sacred. Mm -hmm. You know, here's why this matters. Mm -hmm. This isn't just a plane to us. Like, we care about this because of this, this, and this. And the extent to which the players are now like, oh, this really is more mm -hmm. than just about a pipeline. Then in the back of their mind, you know, <laughs> the next time that happens, they're like, oh, yeah. oh. You know, um, I think also it is very important that everyone have an opportunity to see themselves represented in media, um, both good and bad. I, I, I don't feel like anybody or any group has uh, plot armor 
in the sense that if like well if you're this minority you can only be portrayed in a positive light i'm like well no not necessarily not necessarily i i think you need to be portrayed in a complete a whole and complete light right realistic three-dimensional yeah exactly well because i think while it is important that everyone have something to aspire to i think it's also important to have something to repel against mm-hmm. you know um like like with my character uh victor in vampire um i'm the ceo of a record label of a hip-hop record label but i was very very clear that i didn't want to lean into the hip-hop equals crime trope right and he's not that guy and there's been elements of the story, and I realize a lot of the audience has missed it at points, even though it's been very much set out right. And on the inside, I'm kind of like, mm, your assumptions are showing, but you know, eh, it's neither here nor there. But I knew I didn't want to, I didn't want to perpetuate that. Right. You know that mm-hmm. if this is a black guy in this business, he must be a criminal. Now, again, as a vampire, I've done lots of dirt, but it was vampire dirt. <laughs> right, which is an entirely different situation. Entirely different dirt, you know. Um, but that was something that I wanted to be cognizant of. Um, we we had an episode um, just the other day where uh, Baron Therese Vorman shows up, uh, and Therese is a Malkavian. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, Whitney did a fantastic job playing her. She completely brought her to life in a very three-dimensional way. And, you know, we've been very sympathetic, or uh, not sympathetic, uh, careful about our portrayals of, you know, mental illness. Uh, V5 is much more sensitive to that than previous editions, because it was like, before, it was like, Malkavians are crazy, you know? Now now it's like, man, Don't don't read that Malkavian first edition clan book. (laughs) Right, don't, at all, at all. Well, I mean, it was a product of its time, you know? Right. they're much more careful and selective in their words. And as Xander's performance of X the Malkavian has been fantastic. It's portraying him as somebody that's just a little out of step with everyone else. And, you know, not a fish malk. But I had a scene where, you know, Teresa and I are having a very heated exchange and are very much on the other sides, opposite sides of an issue. And I still wanted to be very careful that it's like, I'm not beating on the mentally ill person, or I'm not beating on the female person, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because, again, it's possible for us to have a disagreement, you know, a, a vehement disagreement, and still not have to portray either of us in a minimalist way, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So, I, I think, and, and, and even in the comic book, uh, I, I made a point, or we have a very diverse tapestry of characters, and I, I wanted a female protagonist um, and, you know, thrown around the strong female protagonist is like such a cliche right now, but I, I wanted to write her. She's a freaking superhero, mm-hmm. but you know, she doesn't always do good things and she's not the emotional core of the story. And so I wanted to portray her as a person that, you know, in, in many ways, uh, she gets just as swept up in uh, wanting revenge as Captain Ahab does. And you see this transition from this sweet girl to this, you know, well, she's not a monster, but she's like, she's like blows up a lot of people. <laughs> you know, that's not a spoiler. You see this in the first issue. But I wanted to be able to show her trajectory of this is a person who's been through a lot and this is what it does to her. Right. Um, 
but as a complex a human, you know, um, I, I have a because a, we're always affected by our experiences. Exactly, regardless of who we are, what we have experienced, what we have done, where we have been, yep. all of that plays into us, changes our perceptions, changes the way we react, proact. You know, all of that just becomes different based on all of that experiential. Um, yep. You know, I, I mean, I have a pair of twins that are non-binary um, because uh, both Poisel and Sam on my cast are non-binary. And when I told them I was writing twins, they were like, can they be non-binary? And I was like, yep, because, you know, we need that. Um, Xander is Polynesian. Uh, like he's distinctly brown when you see him on the page because I was like he's from the islands he grew up on the beach you know he wouldn't be pasty white you know <laughs> like he's been out in the sun um you know my my dragonborn is red because the the fact that he's been treated the way he is because he looks different is none too subtly <laughs> you know <laughs> addressed uh more than once as a, you look like this and therefore you must be this and he's like mm, but I'm not that you know um, I, I, so all of this and now I've gone on a long rambly tangent but I, I think it comes down to um, from a storytelling perspective you know look at your tropes look, look, at, look at your last five heroes and your last five villains see if you notice a pattern and see if you're okay with the pattern that you notice mm-hmm. And um, try and create opportunities for your players to see the other side of the equation and put them on it. And it's actually all right to put them in some no-win situations. Like, that's another thing, Theogony and Kairos. The very first thing they realize is there's a refugee crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote this I wrote this plot before this actually happened in real life last summer, mm-hmm. um, where when the story starts... Um, a large-scale war has ended. Like, their side won. Mm -hmm. But they utterly obliterated this other kingdom, and now there's all these people with nowhere to go. And and I very much let them see the side of that, that they're like, well, they don't have a home. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can... You can see people wanting to go in the, oh, this is good for us, this, you know, we won, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wait. These are the consequences again yep. of yep. all of the actions that have led to this point. It's like, have you ever read that? Uh, like how Saruman was the real hero of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and like the like the inclusive and egalitarian Mordor society. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, all of that stuff was a product of its time. Obviously, without that, we wouldn't have had D and D. Without D and D, we wouldn't have had any of the rest of it. So, shout out to Tolkien. But you know, now in 2019 the idea that the pale blonde ones are all good you know and the dark skinned ones are all bad you know it's like let's let's critique that a little bit let's yeah let's break it down because it doesn't have to be that way when we present new media sure well you know the, the, and this is a thing we've talked about in the D&D community too is like you know the concept of half orcs mm-hmm. it's always kind of implied <laughs> you know, right. the, the relationship might have been non-consensual you know mm-hmm. and now they, they go to great lengths to show that there's orc human hybrid societies mm-hmm. of which you know hybridized people come right 
uh, because otherwise, you know, that that's that was kind of the again the knee jerk reaction is that these dark skinned monsters created other dark skinned monsters, or at least you know, are trying not to be monsters. Um, yeah, so I, I yeah I, I would just say um, be aware of the stereotypes that you're perpetuating and give your players opportunities where they have to kind of be aware of the complexities of dealing with, you know, other sentient beings, basically. One of the things um, that I want to mention, which is, I guess, a little bit of a shameless plug, but one of the books that I helped create for the Storyteller's Vault um, is Descendants of the Three Sisters, which I wrote with with Lisa J. Elwood, um, who um, Nanticoke and Lenape um, descent, and she crafted a really effective narrative for how vampires could have um, existed in the northeastern Americas prior to colonization, prior to settlers. Um, And we had three major villains. Um, We played with three a lot as a kind of uh, trope to Mm -hmm. deconstruct and connect to Native American myth. but one of the things we did is these three major figures of these tribes were all, you could all understand their motivations. Um, this yeah. book's on the storyteller's fault for people that want to read it, but you can understand every one of their motivations, but each of them has done bad things for mm-hmm. good reasons mm-hmm. multiple times because they're all 700 years and older, mm-hmm. which is inevitable. It's inevitable when you're, in a situation where, hey, I want to protect my people, mm-hmm. and I don't have lots of good options available to me, so I'm going to take this action. And it might yep. look good right now, but it has long-term negative implications. I bring that up to say, like, we can use these games and those sorts of things to present people three-dimensionally and understandably, and still to be able to say, Montunagad who's one of our um, NPCs, is a horrible person. Like, absolutely terrible. But you can understand his motivations because if they're human, if we can understand where other people are coming from in our real world, we recognize that that everybody is human and everybody's understandable. We can either, A, find ways to disagree productively with those people, Yep. And, or we can empathize and then maybe find, I don't like saying middle ground, but find ways to work with one another within good contexts. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely live in a time of highly polarized tribalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I've been guilty of it my fair share of times, too. Like, I mean, there, there's, some, there's some topics that are definitely non-negotiable, you know? Yep. Um, then I'm all like, like there's a morally right way. And then there's what bad people think, you know, like I'm, I'm plenty guilty of that, Mm -hmm. but the reality is no human being. Well, I mean, obviously every, there's a couple of psychopaths out there, but you know, for the most part, a person doesn't wake up thinking, how am I going to hurt some other people today? Mm -hmm. You know, like, how am I going to ruin some lives today? Again, sure. Monsters exist. 
But I'm like, that dude that you just saw at the grocery store, you know, the woman pumping gas next to you, you probably have more in common than you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they want, you know, a safe home for their family and food in their belly and, you know, and, and uh, their kids to have a better life than they had. You know, like, I mean, like yeah, most of the boxes mm-hmm. all get checked. And I, and I come, I operate from a position that I believe the human beings are fundamentally good. I really do. Um, and given the choice, people will do the right thing more often than not. And I always, and whenever people want to argue with me about that, it's like I always offer up two points. Be around kids. Mm-hmm. Kids are innately self selfless and sweet. I mean, every once in a while, of course, they might want to steal a cookie. But for the most part, <laughs> kids are good to other people until right. they learn not to be. Right. In two, disasters. When something goes wrong... People drop everything and literally risk their lives for strangers. Like, we run towards wrecked cars and burning buildings. And no one has to tell you to do that. You know, you just do it. Because that's what we are inside. And you can say it from an, you know, an altruism or a spiritual perspective or even just we're pack animals and looking out for each other means you're going to look out for me. And, you know, it can be, it can just be brass tacks biology. You don't even have to add a, a, a moral clause to it. But all things being equal, we look out for each other. The times when things, we start to do bad things and we start to be inhumane to each other is when you can start to separate yourself out between the we and the they. Mm-hmm. We're over here, and they're over there, and mm-hmm. they're the bad guys. And But this this level, this label of who's we and who's they, it is highly, highly fluctuates. Yeah. I mean, if, again, if you and I are in a car, and somebody's chasing us in a car, we is us, and they is them, you right. know? Um, you know, if, if we're in a restaurant and the building catches on fire, you know, that's something we all share. If, if the city blocks on fire, if the city's on fire, if the state's on fire, you know, the, the shared, you know, if an alien attack attacks the human race, you know, yeah. now it's, which is the point of the inquisition, which is why I say, <laughs> I hope yeah. the inquisition is a purely human thing that they're like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, um, and I hate to say, believe it or not, I think that is one of the drawbacks of many ways stories are told in the world of darkness. Mm-hmm. Because I think the tribalism is obvious on the surface, but dare I say the tribalism is rewarded. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, obviously, that's going to vary at different people's tables, of course. But the idea that it's like... I am a werewolf, and you are a vampire, and therefore, you know, the twain will never meet ever, 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 ever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, are you sure though? I mean, like, I, I, I mean, I get the world needs conflict, the story needs conflict. You know, it's not, you know, can't we all just get along? Love in is not an interesting story. I get it, but I'm like, but are you sure though? <laughs> right, but almost inevitably. Not every storyteller, but most storytellers want to see some crossover because they see, one, it's interesting conflict potentially, but also if it's a consolidated world that all of these beings exist within, mm-hmm. if I'm a Bonar, not to like harp on the Bonars, but if I'm a Bonar, of course I'm going to run into some Nosferatu every now and then. Yeah. Of course I'm going to run into some vampires. Like, how do I exist in the city and not. Yep. You know, personally, I think 
the places where those things are most likely. I think they are at the bookends. Mm-hmm. I, I think down around the gangrel Nosferatu, uh, Bonar-ish into the spectrum, maybe some city red talons, maybe down there-ish. Uh, and then the far other end, you know, <laughs> the silver fangs, the Vendru, you know, the, the, the moneyed people, you know, that are pulling the strings like the, they, those could like, I, I could very much see, uh, a chronicle, where you had uh, some glass walkers helping uh, rebuild Shreknet, because part of the V5 meta is Shreknet got hacked, and they lost it all, and they don't know who got it. Again, right. no negative repercussions to that whatsoever. Oh, can't, yeah. can't be any negative repercussions. No, no, nothing, nothing. No, it's fine. It's probably nothing. You know, it's just like, you know, it's a Russian disinformation campaign. It's all it is. It's fine. Um, but... <laughs> Um, uh, you know, where, where those interests align, you know, um, and, and just the, the, for lack of a better word, worshiping at the altar of the technology God is more important, you know, to those, you know, people. Um, and, and, and I mean, again, that's the joy of the world of darkness at any given table, you do whatever you want. I'm just talking about, you know, on a macro meta scale, right. uh, because you know, the, the conceptually, werewolves being Gaia's immune system and the undead being an abomination scans. Like, I mean, yeah, no, it makes total sense. But again, on the street level, <laughs> you know? Right. If if I'm, okay, sure, I'm a small pack, or I'm in a small pack of werewolves in the middle of Detroit and the Sabbat's rolling into town. I'm, I'm going from a revised standpoint. Sabbat mm-hmm. was rolling in town and this caitiff is like, hey, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. Who who am I, why why am I gonna say no to you? Like sure, you might smell the worm. I don't care if you're on my side. Let's go and beat those other guys up. Like also, if you're in Detroit, fight. everything smells in the worm. <laughs> well, yeah. there's that. Yeah, <laughs> but so. Detroit. It, to be fair to Detroit, there's some amazing urban farming stuff going on in Detroit right now. No, they're no, they're fighting the good fight up there. Yeah, like uh, I I actually hope there's a werewolf book set in Detroit because they're pretty yeah. much ideal for the for the werewolf ethos. Mm-hmm. What what's happening up there in Detroit? Um, but <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's. There's a lot of opportunities for very rich storytelling. And, and, you know, this is a total non sequitur, but on our show, so remember, we met a Bonar, and he told us that he's like, all the coyotes you see aren't coyotes. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is a lot of times it falls to my character to give the lore dumps because I'm the one that really knows these things. Right. But Victor doesn't know what I know. Mm-hmm. And so I've occasionally said things that I knew were wrong or like woefully incomplete because like he wouldn't know, you know, like he'd have no concept of what a Glabro was or, you know, what an Uctena was or Fiona was and like, werewolves, you know, the <laughs> way there's techno wolves. What? Um, but uh, when he said like the coyotes aren't coyotes. I wanted to be like, oh, word, there's new in Los Angeles. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but that's not knowledge Victor possesses. So I was just like, really? Hmm. That's very interesting. I, I can just imagine you being like, no, don't metagame. Don't metagame. It's it's like I keep, I, I haven't said anything about mages. I just keep saying where it is. There's mortals that can do what the Tremere can do. There's mortals that can do more than what the Tremere can do. You know? And, if, and then everybody's like, that's not a thing. And I'm all like, I haven't, I'm just telling you what I heard, you know? Like, I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. It's the word on the waves. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. 
<laughs> cool. Um, so we're at uh, almost the hour and a half mark recording, and mm-hmm. my normal episodes are between 25 minutes and 37 minutes. Not because I track those, like... Clockwork or anything. I apologize for being far too interesting. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, this is my. I'm just saying, my listeners will be like, "What is this episode?" Um, mm-hmm. But it's good. Um, before we go, yes. What is one thing that you, or more, if you have a couple of things that you're like, "Hey, you werewolf, the podcast listener, you need to go and do X, Y, and Z to enrich your life." with something that you are involved in, what would be that thing that you would tell them to go and check out? Uh, LA by night season one's on YouTube. Um, we obviously Jason Carl is deeply entrenched in the world of darkness. Um, we all really love it. We've all been playing the game for a very long time. Uh, and I think you can tell, um, and more importantly, we are, the vanguard of the meta. Like, we we are establishing what the world of darkness is now. And it will give you, if absolutely nothing else, it will give you a very keen insight of where, if there ever is a werewolf <laughs> version 5, where those characters are going to find themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's not, it's not a half-bad show, um, that. Um, I... I'll say that more than anything. Uh, and, um, again, if you like comic books, mine is not half bad. Uh, pre-ordered at your local comic shop or on comicsology.com. Again, the pre-orders really do matter. So if you, if you think you're going to get the book, pre-order the book. Um, and that's and, called Dungeons & Dragons, A Darkened Wish for everyone. Yes, Go out and pre-order it. Myself and Tess Fowler. If you follow Tess Fowler on Twitter, she's been posting a lot of the art. I don't do it because I don't want to accidentally post the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I just retweet what she posts. Uh, she's put up some of the covers and some of the stuff, and it, it's it's really it's really dope. It's really interesting. Um, and just tell stories, man. I'm telling you, more than anything, just tell stories. Um, the a lot of people have gotten into Vampire, our show, and they, they very much talk about it with this sense of nostalgia of how they used to play and what it used to be like, and it reminds them of college and all of that. I'm like, or, or, do it now. <laughs> you know, I'm like, or, play now. <laughs> you know, get some friends together and, and dust off, even if you don't have uh, the new books, you know, dust off the old ones and just have a good time. Yeah. yeah. The best thing about role-playing games is once you have the book, you have everything you need because mm-hmm. you can take a thousand years' worth of concepts from a single role-playing game book and play forever. It's imagination. Mm-hmm. And uh, your your characters, your lupine characters, are all welcome in the valley as long as uh, you behave yourselves. <laughs> we'll get along great. Uh, Fantastic. My part of the game, uh, when I met Strikes, uh, we fought with him. Uh, the the Bonar, the the Lupine, Strikes Accord. Uh, we fought with him, and I personally got jacked up by him, and I only lived because of my fortitude. Mm-hmm. So I've commissioned a large arsenal of silver weapons. <laughs> anyway, so we've got we got a lot of high pirate rifles with silver bullets around me now. That I'm like, I want to do that again. That like rage monster thing that almost turned me inside out. That thing, I don't want mm-hmm. that that anymore. And it's funny because you you talk about not being meta. Uh, the way I played it at the time, 
is Victor was like, oh, well, here's a werewolf. You know, I can hire you for some muscle. And you say there's others in Glendale. Like, um, he actually told us they're glass walkers. Like, we, over the process, we're like, I don't even know what that means. But cool, mm-hmm. techno wolves. This seemed legit. Um, I was like, maybe we can work something out type thing. But me, Meta, I'm like, uh, no, because if they knew where I was, they'd come and kill us all. So <laughs> we're just gonna not. <laughs> right. We're gonna not, because the last thing I need to do is to answer the phone and a werewolf shoots out of it. Like, I'm not, I don't, I wonder, I wonder if that power of theirs works, because uh, it, it, I mean, back in those days, there were no cell phones, so I wonder right. if that works over cell phones, if you just, if you can only travel via landline, because you ain't going many places, if that's true. Mm, man, that would, alright, that gets in some interesting and fun territory right there. Yeah, we'll save that for the sequel, <laughs> save it for the sequel, yeah. Right. But, uh, well, yeah, that's, that's it, thank you all for listening. I appreciate having having you on here. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. Um, I would be happy to talk again if we ever have the chance. Um, This has been an amazing episode of Werewolf, the podcast, where we've talked about Werewolf and we've talked about lots of other cool things. We've talked about role-playing games in a really um, exciting and deep and up and down sort of way that I think will be helpful for people to, to listen to. So, um, as always, if you have any feedback or any questions, you can reach out to us at werewolfthepodcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Werewolf the Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Werewolf. And just generally, howl at the moon, and I will hear you and come running for you. So It is a full moon. It is a full moon. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much again for coming, and um, thanks for everyone that is listening. Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion? so that your media could get the attention you want. Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.